You're listening to Midori House, first broadcast on the 18th of January 2019 on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to Midori House, coming to you live from Studio One here in London. I'm Emma Nelson, and on today's show, the US government shutdown gets personal. Nancy Pelosi tells the president to cancel the State of the Union speech. Donald Trump takes away her aeroplane. My guests, Carlotta Ribello, Ben Ryland and Fernando Augusto Pacheco will be discussing this and the day's other top stories, including In the name of love, please stop. Germany begs the UK to stay in the EU. But France gets going on preparing for a no-deal Brexit. Things are getting emotional. Talking of emotional, online CD records or tapes, how do you get your musical fix? Well, press play on Midori House on Monocle 24 right now with me, Emma Nelson. And a very warm welcome to Studio One, offering up more thrills and a trip with Prince Philip down a country lane in a Land Rover, a Monocle 24's very own Carlotta Ribello, Ben Ryland and Fernando Agusta Pacheco. Welcome, team. Hi, Emma. Right, let's begin with the shutdown. And one thing that can be said about Donald Trump's approach to disputes is that he takes things very personally. Take the latest developments in the government shutdown. This week, things got down and dirty as the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi requested for President Trump to either cancel his State of the Union address because the staff usually use for the security aren't there because of the shutdown. Mr Trump responded by cancelling Ms Pelosi's plane to Afghanistan. This is a sorry state of affairs, isn't it? It's absolutely terrifying, actually. Um, it, yeah, it was it was interesting. I I wasn't quite certain that uh, that that Pelosi had uninvited Trump from the State of the Union. I think that was misreported and perhaps uh, misinterpreted by a lot on the Republican side. She had sent a letter that strongly strongly suggested that it be postponed or perhaps take place in a different format, such as him giving it uh, to, uh, over television from the Oval Office or perhaps delivering it in writing. As far as I can tell, she didn't say you are not getting your State of the Union. I think that seems to be something that the Republicans have chosen to misinterpret to then perhaps in some sort of reverse way weaponize against Nancy Pelosi to make her out to be the petty one who went petty first. It's a very clever way, isn't it, of saying, I'm not stopping you from doing your job, but I'm just going to make it clear that there are difficulties connected with you doing your job and and Donald Trump has replied in kind but but it does make sense uh, her her answer and her statement saying that you know maybe we should revise the way we would do the State of the Union you know it is the one day that every single branch of the US government is under the same roof. I mean, there's even television series about what would happen if there was a, a tragedy or an attack during that day and the fact that the shutdown is heavily impacting impacting security services, that concern had to be raised. It would be reckless of her not to raise that issue in the unlikely event that something would happen. No one would ever forgive either the Democrats or Pelosi for not having made that case. Absolutely. I think a lot of people misunderstand just how epic a security mission the State of the Union is. Nancy Pelosi was making a valid point. um, And I'm, I'm not sure whether Donald Trump took it that way. It seems as though he's taken it as a sort of personal attack, which is, I suppose, going to surprise absolutely no one. Faye, what do you think? And talking about security, it was quite weird that Trump also reviewed that Nancy Pelosi 
was going to a war zone in Afghanistan. I don't think that was supposed to be no. reviewed as well. So again, very reckless. I mean, I know he, he was he, he was going on a personal attack against her, but you can't do that, especially when you when you play with things such as security as well. Yeah, but we're talking about the president mm-hmm. that when he visited U.S. troops over right before the Christmas break or during the Christmas break, that decided to post photos on social media to say, hey, look how cool I am hanging out with the troops and actually revealing photos of some SEAL agents that even their families didn't know if they were alive, where they were. That's how secret of a mission it is. And they found out through Donald Trump's Twitter. So, you know, I think security concerns, it's never at the top of his priority list. It's how can I make things personal? How can I weaponize a moment? Uh, and how can I make everything about me? One thing that I noticed about this, we're going to take away Nancy Pelosi's plane, she's going to Afghanistan, by the way, close brackets, is that I thought, I'm not entirely sure that Donald Trump is bright enough to think that particular trick up himself. And it made me wonder, has he got a gang, like the bully's mates, who are sitting there going, right, She's done this to us. Now, what can we do to get Nancy? Absolutely. His name is Stephen Miller. He's got a gang of, of, of uh, uh, to use a, a word that uh, perhaps should have been retired but hasn't been, deplorables. They are people who come up with these ideas because it's all about winning the news day. Donald Trump's entire presidency has been about winning the next 24 hours in the news cycle. And that's what we saw again this time. This retaliation wasn't just transparent. It was ab- absolutely deliberate. Uh, it, it was it, the Republicans who were getting up on cable news and talking about this. They weren't even trying to hide behind mm-hmm. this being some sort of uh, a, a political reaction or, or something else. They were quite open about the fact that this was a tit for tat battle and that now Donald Trump had the upper hand. I don't think he actually does. I think it's failed spectacularly and that he'll find it has backfired because if you look at any of the reporting about this, On one hand, you've got Donald Trump who looks very, very petty and he's exposed for being down in the mud while everyone else is trying to play politics and actually get the government running again. And then on the other side of the newspaper, you've got a story about Michael Cohen, who has who is yet again leading some sort of revelation about how crooked uh, Donald Trump's dealings were before he became president? It's a ve- all of this is very bad news for Trump. And if you want to add another, you know, another hint of irony to this whole thing, as if one needs it, uh, in the statement that Trump wrote um, addressing the um, why Nancy Pelosi shouldn't go on this trip, he said, "In light of the eight hundred thousand uh, great American workers not receiving pay, I'm sure you would agree that postponing this public relations event." is totally appropriate. So essentially saying, why should we spend uh, taxpayers' money to do this at a time that no one is getting paid? But here's the cherry on top of uh, this uh, spectacularly horrible cake, is that uh, Melania Trump, the first lady, still kept her plans to fly on a military jet to Mar-a-Lago to spend the weekend. Yeah, I think she's got Nancy's plane. So it's, uh, um, what the hell? Yeah, well, indeed. It, it's brilliant because it's all going to kick off again with Mueller and with Cohen as well. And we have, once again, Donald Trump doing that. Look over there, there's a big PR crisis that we can divert our attention away from. I mean, Faye, he's, he's done it again. This is a stroke of brilliant genius again, isn't it? Even though Nancy doesn't get to go to Afghanistan. Absolutely. And, and, and again, in some ways, not surprising. But one thing that, that we're forgetting, I mean, what's going to happen with those 800,000 people as well that work for the government? I mean, I Wonder because they must find they must have a solution, especially about their pay as well. We're on 27, 28 days maybe now of shutdown. Mm. Uh, so that's 28 days people are not getting paid. And today there was reports because you don't even think about that when you think about federal workers. 
about the FBI opening a food bank because of some of their staff. Obviously, you're not talking about high-ranked officers that are well-paid, but, you know, not everyone at the FBI is at that level. And it, the message that they sent was exactly that. People, the public does not realize that the FBI is actually a federal agency and we're opening a food bank for our staff because of the shutdown. Just think about that. People responsible for protecting that country can't put food on the, tab- food on their t- on the table for their families. And that just shouldn't happen anywhere. Indeed, I, mean, I think it's not just the FBI, but of the whole not, of, of the not. law enforcement officials. I think it was, it was uh, in that same report that came out today that you mentioned, Carlotta. Um, Apparently undercover cases, including corruption probes, have been put on hold simply because there's no cash for people to actually do any investigations or to actually carry out some serious operations. Well, indeed, and there's no reason at all to expect that this will end anytime soon. Uh, If there's anything that Donald Trump fears most, it's giving in. And he has felt as as if he has given in before. Uh, There was the time that he was forced to apologise for for making certain comments that were deemed to be quite racist. Uh, He did backtrack on those and then immediately felt as though he had given in and then decided to go out the very next day and, and clamp down even harder on what he'd said in the first place. So... We know very well that Donald Trump won't back down here. He's been backed into a corner, though. He's boxed himself in. There doesn't seem to be any way out of this. But that that doesn't... I've seen a lot of reporting saying that Donald Trump is in a box here. There's no way out. And the the end result seems to be, well, eventually he'll give in. What indication do we have that he will give in? He doesn't care about any of these employees who are going without their paychecks. We know that. Also, we need to think that the, uh, the, uh, the shutdown, the government shutdown doesn't affect this president the same way it has affected others for not only here in terms of personality and preferences, but Donald Trump does not take a salary from the US government. That was one of his campaign promises. And he actually took up on it. Well, as far as we can tell, because obviously, there's no tax returns to prove it. So this is a president that actually shut down or not, he still supposedly wouldn't get paid. Mm. And on top of that, he's rich. So the money. But his poll numbers have gone down. If, of if he's got a salary of any kind, it's poll numbers. He's yes. paid in poll numbers, and they have gone down, not a whole lot, but they've gone down a little bit. And one would suspect that that's the thing that will start chilling him in the middle of the night, because it's not too far away until that election starts heating up. Well, all that he needs is for the Democrats to say. Uh, something like they haven't said yet, which is that they wouldn't negotiate uh, over the border wall at all while the shutdown is in place. All that he needs is for the Democrats to hint that they're slightly open to some sort of negotiation to then win again the new cycle. See, it worked. I'm always right. And unfortunately, that's my gut feeling. That's what's going to happen. Let's, uh, I, I really can't imagine Nancy Pelosi taking that sort of measure, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Well, let's move on to another um, area of politics and world um, world stories which um, are going round in circles with no one ever, ever, ever going anywhere nearer to a conclusion. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about Brexit. Um, bitter, say the Germans, however, kind Brexit in rather uncustomary style. Germany, or a group of German industrialists and politicians, have begged the United Kingdom not to leave the European Union. The newly elected leader of the CDU party, Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer, joined forces with industrialists and businesses to write an open letter to the Times newspaper today, saying, as Britain hurtles towards Brexit Day with the prospect of no deal growing ever greater, well, everything should be... uh, 
put on hold and we should all stay. Without your great nation, she writes, this continent would not be what it is today. After the horrors of the Second World War, Britain did not give up on us. It has welcomed Germany back as a sovereign nation and a European power. But more than anything else, we will miss the British people, our friends across the Channel. Um, there's been mixed reactions to this letter, um, haven't there, um, Carlotta, given the fact that some people have said it's actually full of clichés and, and just a bit bit sickly. Well, it is, uh, but I don't know if here it's a, it's a sort of play to use those clichés uh, so that it's, um, in a way, more widely understood by the rest of the world. So despite being aimed at the UK, is actually, you know, a PR stunt for uh, the people writing this letter and see, look, we're even uh, doing this. We're doing everything we can. Let's plead to the emotional side. Um, I'm. I just think it's ridiculous. It's like you're, this country got into this mess. Uh, we shouldn't go and beg for them to solve it. It's like, you do whatever you want to do. The rest of the continent should con- just continue. <laughs> and can I say something? It is <laughs> such a mess because, you know, uh, like in my own country, Brazil, I mean, we have quite a terrible new president, but that's that's easy. We have a, ter- a terrible president that's going to be there for four years or maybe he'll be reelected. But Brexit feels like it's going to be here like forever with us. And I think that even if we have a second referendum, I think some people will be feeling quite correctly that they are left out as well. So so, so it, it is quite a hard decision. What next? What to do? I think it's going, going to be very hard to unite the UK again. I don't think we're, I think we're a long, long, long way away from being united. It, it is. Exactly. We, we are in such a mess. Um, that makes me a bit stressed. But would real oh, Faye? I'm sorry to hear that. Let's try and let's try and ease your pain. We're going to go and do some pop music later on, and you can you can uh, de-stress there. But but just thinking about whether a German letter would make committed Brexiteers any less likely to actually hate the European <laughs> Union anymore, uh, because Germany is is often considered to be the sort of the art the architect of the European of European federalism of everything that is bad about about uh, the European Union. Emma, um, I can't think of many things that Brexit voters would care less about than a letter from Germans pleading for them to stay. Uh, uh, this this whole thing uh, really boggles my mind as to why it's been published now. Uh, I just Britain is so far down the garden path on this. This is one of the least likely things to make any hint of difference whatsoever. Do you think that, that you know, a letter saying we would miss Britain, we'd miss the legendary British black humour and going to the pub after work hours to drink an ale, we would miss tea with milk and driving on the left-hand side of the road. And it, it, these things that would obviously the Germans would be deprived of uh, were, were we to leave the EU in the manner that we're intending to. Um, I just found it as, as if someone has sat around in a room going adopts heavy German accent, what are we going to think of that we love about Britain? And it becomes full of, full of cliches. I'm not quite sure how it, ring, how it, how it rings. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, not, uh, it's, it's, it's not exceptionally thought out. But then again, I'm pretty sure it's just meant to be a little bit of fun, isn't it? They, they don't, they're not under any impression that this will actually change any minds or, or make any difference. Uh, the big issue facing Britain now is uh, what's what a lot of people are, are facing as an existential one. The only way out of, of getting uh, of turning away from this no-deal situation seems to be somehow to get some sort of second referendum. But there's so much opposition to that idea that it, it, I think it's confusing to everyone in the European Union because they're not... Uh, people living over on the continent aren't exposed to the, the daily barrage of news in the way that we are here. So to them, it seems very, very confusing 
interesting to just dabble in every now and then when something big happens and to face these options that we generally have got our heads around, I think, because we're reading about it a lot in the news. Uh, but, you know, this is not, this also isn't an existential issue for Europeans, is it? They, it will cause some pain for Europe, but they'll pick up and move on. They've still got a lot of other countries in their union. For the UK, it's very, very different. For me, what doesn't, what does, what doesn't make sense at all uh, when we look at the deal that was rejected this week, and not going into the minutiae of the deal itself, but is how do you get 27 different countries to agree, yep, that's a deal we can ratify, let's just give it to the one country now that's left, and then you don't get people in the, even in the same cabinet to agree with it. Like, the deal was issued and you had ministers resigning. How do you get 27 countries with their own culture, their own history, their own traditions, their own political um, way of, the way, the, the, their own way of doing politics, not all have the same presidential prime minister system or our republics, etc. You get 27 different nations to agree and then... It all crumbles down. But you can't get Britain to agree. Here, yeah. I think in it's one, and, and we're not even talking about the House of Commons. Within the cabinet, it just baffles me. It just like highlights how, from the beginning, the Leave campaign never thought they would win. They would be the get... eternal victims, and that's the role they can fill. How do we ever get to the point where we've got elected representatives who are going against all of the all of the advice that I can tell, thinking that this clean Brexit, no deal, is actually the best option. The best option for who? Who is going to benefit from a clean Brexit, so-called clean Brexit? I don't think there's any such thing. Having a no deal means everything gets more expensive overnight. Entire industries are wiped out. Planes may not even be able to continue flying unless the EU can strike up some sort of some sort of deal with us. Why would they do that? I don't know. Well, there's I, no I wonder, upside to this. I wonder whether this is actually something that is knit, knit deep into the British DNA that we were the first nation to break away from the Roman Empire. So we've got form here. We are, a la we are an island nation. We were able to stay within the European Union for a little over four decades, and we spent the whole time trying to get, get deals to get out or to, to not have to integrate so fully. I suspect that we have never psychologically been an entire part of the European Union. And the first opportunity that many people got, they thought, that's it, we're off. It's as simple as that. I don't think the United Kingdom likes to belong. There was an... I think you're completely correct on that, Emma. Uh, there was a moment on the BBC a couple of nights ago when uh, there was a, a panel discussion happening and one of the panellists uh, spoke about the possibility of a no-deal Brexit and almost the entire crowd that was present there suddenly erupted into cheers. Everyone in that audience thought that no deal, walking away from the EU, uh, was somehow the very best option. And you, you did have someone there who knew what no deal meant, trying to patiently explain it to everyone there. But what I think that taught me was that actually this, there's, a, there's a massive misunderstanding amongst all of the people who have voted for this as to what they've actually voted for. Still, that message has not got through. And because... It's economics and it's politics, and both of those things, by their very nature, are incredibly dull and boring. We're not going to know the true costs of this until after it's happened. Okay. Well, the time is uh, 8, 9, 18, 19 here in London. Carlotta Rabello, Fernanda Augusta Pacheco and Ben Ryland are with me on today's Midori House, sorting out the world in half an hour. Coming up, we ne coming up next, we fall in love with the mixtape. So have your fingers poised on pause, record and play. For a global perspective and some fresh ideas direct to your door on business, culture and design, not to mention fashion, travel and much more, subscribe today and join the world of Monocle. 
As a valued subscriber, you'll get a 10% discount in all Monocle shops and our online store. You'll also be the first to receive exclusive invitations to our events and have full access to the magazine archives. In addition, all one-year subscriptions come with a free limited edition Monocle tote bag. With four bespoke subscription packages to choose from, you decide what suits you and your lifestyle best. What are you waiting for? Visit monocle.com and subscribe today. Welcome back to Midori House. It's Emma Nelson here and the time in London is 18.20. A very warm welcome to the programme if you've only just joined us. And there's a personal cultural moment that anyone over the age of about 30 will undoubtedly have experienced. In an age before downloads and streaming and with pocket money being just that, taping stuff off the radio was the main way you'd get your music. To that, however, you'd hover tense as hell over your stereo, ready to simultaneously wallop the big silver pause, record and play buttons as soon as your favourite song started. It was a labour of love. Well, the tape is making a comeback. Cassette album sales in the United States have grown by 23% last year. And to share us their great mixtape stories, I've got Carlos Rebello, Ben Ryland and Fernando Augusto Pacheco ready to tell us, do you still have tapes, Faye? Well, unfortunately, I don't. I do have quite a lot of CDs, but I remember back in 95, between 95 and 2000, actually, I used to make mixtapes and uh, when I was listening to Brazilian radio. And, and I think that's when I developed my taste for cheesy European dance music because Brazil is a big market for them. So, for example, Nikki French, she has an amazing Brazilian community of fans. And <laughs> and, and there were songs like Wigfield, Sexy Eyes, you know, uh, and Nikki French uh, covering the name of uh, in, in, in the name of love. So there's, there's, been... so there's little Faye. There's teenage Faye. Teenage Faye who teenage grew Faye. up to be is liking the same thing. Has got his double tape deck. And did you have something like, we had the charts, we had the top 40 on a Sunday afternoon. And that was when I would go up into my bedroom and it would be pause, record, play. And you would end up with about 40 minutes of music that also used to have the voice of a terrible DJ at the beginning or at the end, which is like... It, Ooh, you get the end of their voice and the beginning of their voices, and so I never had a clean song. Did you? Did you all? Does that ring bells with you, Ben? Yeah, I used to get very upset when the DJs would talk over the top of the music. It, it would make me uh, uncontrollably mad. Uh, Fernando, I I can remember Nikki French. Actually, you've just oh. reminded me. She did a cover of Total Clips of the Heart. Oh yes, yeah, yes. brilliant, brilliant. There was another cover I think she did of the Carpenters as well. But she we could reminisce on Nikki French all night. Uh, no, I I absolutely did have those sorts of problems with my mix taped Emma, but I can t I just have some very clear memories of uh, replacing their voices with my own voice and sort of pretending I had my own little radio station. So somewhere, is there a, is there a dusty box of, of little Ben Ryland DJ tapes that <laughs> yes. one day we will go around to your house and, and play and cry and I weep with joy? I can't imagine where they've wound up now, but yes, they, Ben's, they Ben's exist somewhere. Ben's mum is getting an email later on today. <laughs> Carlotta, did you have the same thing? Are you ta well, are you tape CDs online records? What do you do? So uh, you remember when uh, just now in your introduction you said a cultural moment that anyone over the age of about thirty will remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm under that bracket, so I really can't okay. relate so yet. But, bragging, I but think. Um, I'm um, I'm a very an avid collect collector of vinyls since I was a kid. So I remember the stereo my parents had at their home, where my mom would do the mixtapes uh, because she would 
would listen. Uh, this was back in Madeira, and there was only a certain time on the day that the radio station from the mainland Portugal would be played. So it was like, how would you know the nice songs that are coming out? So she would do mixtapes, and I remember using that stereo since I was about like nine or ten years old to listen to their old vinyls. A tradition that I've carried on until today. I buy vinyl almost every every week. Um, still brought the collection that I had from back home all over the way, all the way over to London with me. And every time I've moved cities or countries, it comes with me, uh, but not necessarily cassettes. <laughs> I wonder whether it is the fact that you have to do something with a thing which has made us all fall in love with It's that you tapes, get to hold it. You get to hold and it. And you can exactly. give it to someone as well. That's what. That's that's the number one thing I hate about the streaming age is that you can't mm. give anyone a movie or a piece of music as a gift anymore. It all just exists in the air. I can't leave a, a, a nice, you know, video cassette or something as a gift under the Christmas tree anymore. It's, it's just not done. And, you know, an iTunes gift card is not the same thing at all. Well, I wonder then, just thinking in about, you know, in, in 40, 50 years' time when Midori House is still on air and our and our successors will be sitting there going, do you remember back in 29, 2019, you know, you couldn't download a thing because the, 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 the I don't know, the streaming was so slow or this kind of stuff. There doesn't seem to be a sort of a nostalgia or, or a romance, does there, Faye, with, with, with streaming music? No, not 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 at all. And, and and I have to say, it makes me very sad. I mean, we see record shops. Apparently, HMV is in administration now. When I first arrived in the UK, about, about more than ten years ago, there used to be those massive record shops. When they closed down, honestly, I, I it makes me want to cry actually because it's extremely sad. Remember the singles chart? You could buy all the singles, and and it was I used to go to the shops every Monday, like morning when they opened, to buy the new releases. It's it just not the same thing, you know. Cool, an artist drops something online nice I go and watch it but it, it is not the same feeling yeah, I'm sorry a, if I'm sound like an old man it's about owning like the physical copy of, love, in yeah. what, whichever form uh, I remember as well like go, spending hours at the this favorite like CD store back home and it was so crushing when it shut down because people stopped going there it was you know you could now download songs on your iPod the first iteration of it and but you, you still buy vinyl Carlos. yeah I still buy vinyl every, so the, see, every week this is what I like the physicality is still there yeah it's and still there. There's just the, I, I, I actually think the industry needs to put more focus on that, not just catering to the people like Carlotta who already buy the physical music, but encourage others to buy it as well. Because you know what? I would be more than happy to pay a premium to get something I can hold on to with beautiful artwork mm-hmm. and a little booklet that comes with it with the meanings behind the songs and more information from the artist. I wonder but, if there's something to be said, though, in defence of streaming, because mm. we all love things. And I mean, I now collect CDs. I don't, I don't buy anything online anymore. Um, but the fact is, is that nowadays I can have on my playlist if I go out a bit of Drake and then I can have some Debussy. And there is that world of music has now opened up. But that's that you true. can listen if, to if, anything now. And if it's you're accessible. interested into, in, in rare music, so music that's, that's not so obvious, perhaps older music, often those sorts of things will come and go from streaming platforms or from online platforms. And if they disappear, that licensing agreement disappears. Apple doesn't provide this album anymore. It disappears from your collection and you won't know about it. You'll just think, oh... I want to listen to that. It's, I can't find it. It's not in my collection. You don't own the music. It's not there. So uh, that's where I think the physical media comes back. And I do like streaming because a lot of the services, such like Spotify, allow you, you know, you play this artist, I don't know how many hours, to give you something new, to be like, oh, if you like this, you might like that. And I use it a lot to discover new music that then I research the artist. And, it's the new radio. And most times end up buying then a, f- a vinyl from that same band. Um, but 
for me, that's the best thing about streaming is not only the fact that, oh, now I'm in the mood for this. Three songs later, I'm in the mood for that. And I you know, don't need to get up swap sides, put it back on the sleeve, etc. Like I can just tap oh, on my phone little, and it's little done. little magpie brains are yeah. crackling, aren't but, they? But for having that, that idea of being able to discover new bands is the best of streaming. Finally, we have to have a bit of a special offer like nothing else. Mexico hasn't had the greatest rap in the US recently. The government shut down, the wall along the border, you name it. And the reputation of Mexico, the country's flag carrier, isn't that much better either. Last week, a group of passengers claimed they were detained against their will on board a flight and tried to escape using the emergency slide. So there's a bit of reputational work to be done and they've pulled a blinder with this advert. Meaning that a big percentage of Mexican ascendants in the USA doesn't even know it yet. So we did a DNA test to prove it and turn those results into discounts. The more Mexican they are, the more discount they get. Joshua, you are 18% Mexican. Oh, wow. So you get 18% off the flight to Mexico. <laughs> So that's an attempt to boost tourism from the United States. Mexico's national airline carrier has a DNA discounts programme which offers flights at lower rates for Americans with Mexican DNA. Fernando Augusto Pacheco, are you suddenly heading off to take a little test to see if you can get a discount? Well, to be honest, I, I did have a test, so I know my DNA. And in fact, I have the DNA of so many countries. Unfortunately, I'm not sure if I'm Mexican. I'm 7.9% Native American from Brazil and Cuba. Not quite Mexico, so I don't think I would get a discount there. Okay, you're no use then. How about you, Ben? Can you get us on a plane for cheap? I'm pretty sure I, I couldn't, although I, I really don't know. Uh, there's much about my, my ancestry that is a, a very strange mystery, which I, I wouldn't have time to explain right now. Uh, but uh, I would I would absolutely love this. I think it's a very, very clever advert. And, you know, certain people within the United States have made the word Mexico a bit of a, a toxic word. Uh, but strangely, there are a lot of people who are still holidaying in Mexico. They had a record quarter in the first quarter of 2018. So uh, I, I think this has only got to be good news for Aero Mexico. Carlos, some people are saying that this is just an advert to get Americans who don't like Mexico to get on a plane and head out there, but it's also a warning to, Me to Mexicans that Americans might not be very nice. <laughs> <laughs> I think this ad is uh, a great uh, campaign. Whoever pulled this off, I think, uh, I really, really like it. Um, not only plays, obviously, with everything that's going on politically, but the people that he started to feature, like there's this one man that you just can't believe he might have, you know, fewer than 10% uh, of Mexican ancestry. And it's just that idea that um, Americans don't really, and this plays in the whole discourse of the conversation we were having earlier, they don't really... Uh, so, most of them don't really realise that actually there's no way you can be 100% American. No one yeah. else is. Or how much they have in common yeah, with Mexicans exactly. as well. I, there's, there's this whole brainwashing thing going on in the media, uh, well, in, in politics more so, that, that Mexicans are exactly how Donald Trump describes them. We won't go into that now. But, you know, once once that's put right in front of their faces, they're confronted with the reality. There's, there's really nothing you can say. I wonder if, Final word to Faye. I'm just, just saying the ad is nice, but a little bit mean, I thought. Of course, well. but that's what makes and it great. <laughs> I felt a bit like I felt a bit sorry for them. I just wonder <laughs> if like DNA companies are going to have to see a, a hike in like customers over the next couple of weeks. I wonder. I wonder indeed. I wonder what DNA I'd like swishing through my veins to get me a cheap <laughs> discount to somewhere. Certainly not British. That brings us to the end of today's program. Carlotta Rabella, Ben Ryland, Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Thank you for joining me here in Studio One. Thanks to Carlotta, the producer, researcher Fernando Augusto Pacheco, and Marta Libri, and our studio manager. Christy Evans and there's more music but for now from me Emma Nelson goodbye have a great weekend and thanks very much for joining us <laughs>